Welcome to another episode of Reformation Roundtable. My name is Joe Stout, and Reformation Roundtable is looking to plant a Reformed church in Lewis County. We've been meeting for about a year now, and these meetings have grown from a group of a small group of men into a large group of families. We've still been meeting as a Bible study or as a fellowship night. We are not officially in Lord's Day worship yet, but we would like to get there very, very soon. We'd like to get there within the next few weeks, and so there's a lot of work we're doing towards that end. The following recording is a fellowship night that took place on February 7th, and we've been having these fellowship nights on Sunday evenings. They're not Lord's Day worship, but they are times that we get together in preparation for when we become an official mission church. During this fellowship night, we had uh, we sang four different songs. We had a discussion on the missions conference that took place the uh, actually on the 5th and the 6th of February in Moscow, Idaho. Uh, six men went over to that, and we had a discussion as well as an update on how that went. The topic was poverty and the church's response to poverty, as opposed to the nanny state, what true charity looks like. If you'd like to join us on one of these fellowship nights, head on over to lewiscounty.church. At lewiscounty.church, you will find there an events tab. Under the events tab, you'll find all the upcoming things that are happening as we move towards starting official Lord's Day worship, and we would love to have you be a part of this. So head on over, lewiscounty.church, fill out the contact form. It'll come directly to me, and I'll make sure that we get you brought into the circle, as it were, so that you know how important your presence is at this. So I hope you enjoyed the discussion that took place, and we would love to have you become a part of this, and we would love your prayers for it too. Uh, enjoy the talk, and we'll see you next time. We've got um, four songs that we're going to sing today, two at the beginning, then we'll have a little discussion time, then two at the end. Um, three of them we've never sang before as a group, but they're, I think they're common enough songs that you guys probably will, will recognize them. The first one, Psalm 128, we have been singing that one almost every time. Bless the man that fears Jehovah. Um, and then there's an Isaac Watts song, I Sing the Mighty Power of God. The uh, Stout kids have been working on this one, so so you should hear them singing nice and loud. And then uh, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise, and then All Creatures of Our God and King. Uh, then we'll have some little bit of prayer and we'll eat. Is everybody everybody got one? Mm-hmm. All right. All right, let's let's go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Gracious God in heaven, thank you for this time that we have this evening. Thank you for the opportunities that you put before us. And when you send um, frowning cl- clouds of providence, you always have a smiling face behind it. And we thank you for the opportunities that are arising in a culture that is has been completely overwhelmed by uh, this this coronavirus. Uh, the worship of God has been so interrupted because of it, and we pray, Father, that we, as your people, would be faithful in the midst of whatever comes our way, whatever the future has. Lord, let us smile at it. Let us not be afraid, but let us smile at the future, knowing that you are the sovereign King. 
that oversees all things. We pray that you would bless our time tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Psalm 128, a song, a psalm of tremendous hope. Bless the man that fears Jehovah and that walketh in his ways. Thou shalt eat of thy hands labor and be prospered all thy days. Like a vine with fruit abounding, in thy house thy wife is found. And like all it plants thy children, compassing thy table round. And like all it plants thy children, compassing thy table round. Let's do verse 1 again. Bless the man that fears Jehovah, and that walketh in his ways. Thou shalt eat of thy hands labor, and be prospered all thy days. Like a vine with fruit abounding, in thy house thy wife is found. And like all it plants thy children, compassing thy table round. And like all it plants thy children, compassing thy table round. Low on him that fears Jehovah, shall this blessedness attend. For Jehovah out of Zion, shall to thee his blessing send. Thou shalt see Jerusalem prosper, all thy days till life shall cease. Thou shalt see thy children's children, unto Israel be Thou shalt see thy children's children unto Israel be Amen. Beautiful. I love singing the Psalms because as uh, Dave Hatcher was kind of preaching on when he spoke to us, it's God's songbook. It's the songs that God loves, and we should sing the ones that he loves. Now, a, a, a good old saint of the past is a guy by the name of Isaac Watts. Anybody know Isaac Watts' most famous hymn? You can shout it out, you know, if you raise your hands. Joy to the world. Joy to the world, that's right. Joy to the world. So this is not Joy to the World, of course. This is I sing the mighty power of God. And this is really a declaration of God's power in creation, God's power throughout all of creation. And so let's sing this one to the Lord. I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise. That spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The moon shines full at his command and all the stars obey. Let's do that one again. I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The moon shines full at His command and all the stars obey. 
I sing the goodness of the Lord that filled the earth with food. He formed the creatures with His word and then pronounced them good. Lord, how Thy wonders are displayed where'er I turn my eye. If I survey the ground I tread or gaze upon the sky. There's not a plant or flower below but makes thy glories known. And clouds arise and tempests flow by order from thy throne. While all that borrows life from thee is ever in thy care. And everywhere that man can be thou God art present there. Amen. I love that line here. It says, uh, it says, there's not a plant or flower below, but makes thy glories known. And clouds arise and tempests blow by order from thy throne. So that can be taken literally, of course, but also metaphorically in our own lives. Those tempests and the clouds that arise, those are from the hand of God. Then finally, it says, all life, bar- uh, while all that borrows life from thee is ever in thy care, Everywhere that man can be, thou, God, art present there. That's a big God that we serve, and that's a big blessing to be a part of that. So thank you guys for being here today. Um, uh, Luke is going to come up here, and he's going to talk to us about the mission conference that uh, a group of us guys just got back from. It was in Moscow, Idaho. So Luke, you want to tell us all about it? Sure. Several of you uh, already know about it, I guess. But uh, those who didn't know, we left... uh, on Friday, a group of us, six of us, and went over to, to Moscow, Idaho, to, to the um, missions conference there was at, that uh, Christchurch hosted, and it was actually downtown Moscow. And so um, speakers were basically uh, Doug Wilson and then also Dr. George Grant. Um, some of you may or may not be uh, familiar with him. I wasn't, I wasn't as familiar with him when we walked into it. But uh, pretty impressive, uh, Dr. Grant was, and some of his, um, he's a historian, but he's also uh, well-versed in missions and doing uh, planting areas, not just uh, in his own area of, I think it's Tennessee, but also he's known for uh, raising up missions and churches in places like Iraq and the Middle East and flourishing um, very poor sections of those areas. So pretty impressive work that he's done. Uh, and then also Toby Sumter. And Toby is the pastor of which? Same church. Same church. He's associate pastor at, at Christ Church. So Toby has written a couple books. He's also got a blog. Um, and, and Doug Wilson has written many books and, and blogs regularly as well um, as far as authority on, on some of these Christian topics. But So some of the things that they talked about... Uh, was the big business of charity. And a lot of times people don't think of charity as being a big business, but basically the church uh, in some of its guise of charity can just uh, really take opportunity of poor or missions and turn it into, turn it into a business, turn it into uh, basically a, a fun fundraiser type thing <laughs> and uh, how, how we can get astray in some of those things. Uh, we talked about a biblical survey of poverty and what poverty means. 
Um, Doug Wilson commented a lot about how where the United States sees poverty. Um, he didn't. He didn't talk about necessarily global poverty as a whole, but kind of a, a true poor, and then you know our, our culturistic poor, and how there's a difference between that. And I think, I think uh, the number was something like was it 34 million? About 34 million people in America, technically, according to the magical line that they say is the poverty line. About 34 million in America are below that poverty line, but how it's it's somewhat of a magic line that can move and be moved easily and anyway so he, he talks a lot about that um also discussed was the false gospel of the nanny state basically you know our state and then the true gospel of mother church um work instead of welfare uh commandments from the bible about working about earning a living as well and then contrasted with how people are rewarded for not working in the welfare system. Um, and then reclaiming our call to charity. Uh, there, was, there was a discussion about reclaiming our call to charity. So uh, some, of these, some of these areas and some of these topics, you know, aren't, you don't think about. They're not naturally thought about. Um, you don't naturally oftentimes think about how charity can be bad, about how giving can be bad. Um, oftentimes we get a good feeling about well, we want to. We see someone who may be in need, and it might be somebody on the street corner. It might be something else. And oftentimes, we think, well, you know what? If I'm going to give them some money, whatever, uh, that that's going to God's going to bless that. Well, sometimes we give. The, our ignorance in giving can actually be hurting situations more than helping situations. And and that was some of the idea that was brought about. But also just looking at the biblical ramification, the biblical commandments of how we should give, how we should work, how we should live, what, how we should treat the poor, and how that relates to us in everyday lives. Um, one of the statements I thought that was a little bit a little bit hard to grasp at first when uh, Doug Wilson first brought it up was that every great cause begins in a movement, turns into a business, and then ends in a racket. Um, you know, for all for all the, the good intentions that we have, oftentimes if we're, and, and, the, and the catch or the, uh, the qualifier to that is if you're not careful, like if you're not in the Lord, you're not seeking his guidance and being very, um, very pointed on how you approach the ministry of whatever it is, you know, how easy it is for that great cause and that to just turn into a great movement. And then it turns, you know, you got a business and pretty soon it's like, oh, this is turning along. You know, and you got to pretty much pretty soon you're running a business, and it's like, oh, we've got all this great stuff happening, and then you know it loses its course and just turns into this racket. You know, it's like, oh, well, what, what are we even doing? You know, why are we doing this? Are we even helping the people that we're trying to help? So, he just discussed that a bit, and uh, um, kind of makes you think, I guess. And, and one of my struggles with that was, well, how do you know whether or not you're doing any good at all? You know. And I think they qualified that a bit later with, well, sometimes when you're seeking God's will and you're trying to help somebody genuinely, you're going to have whiffs, basically. You're going you're gonna to have people that you encounter who are trying to work the system, and, and you, sometimes you have to just be okay with that. You just have to be like, okay, I want to be generous. I want to be biblically generous and, and generous in, in the way that God wants me to be generous in both money and time. 
and that time one always stings a little bit because it's hard to be generous with time uh, with a business or you know a family and all this other stuff um, but that uh, ultimately you will have people that will try to work you over that will try to use the system but you have to trust God in what you're doing and if you're doing it and in, in, in within God with God in mind doing it biblically with oversight that you just understand that some of that's going to happen, but that ultimately you're, you're doing it for God's good and God's work. But, um, what else? Um, some, some, some pointed, uh, things, I guess. Uh, one of the things that was talked about, about the false, false gospel and the true gospel and contrasting some of those things, you know, you, the gospel of man and materialism. Materialism was talked about a bit. Um, one of the things that Doug Wilson referenced was uh, the thesis on the kindness of Christ. And it was something that he has, he basically mentioned that that was something that you could find uh, if you start looking at, on some of the things that he posts on. But one of his whole talks was on that thesis alone and something that their church had come up with. And it, it was very good, but it bas- basically talks a lot about how we treat mammon, money, how to be generous, so and then talking strictly on generosity, and then mercy. And one of those points on that was that generosity has to be driven by gratitude, not guilt. How often don't we feel that we need to be generous and we're convicted and, and we're guilt-driven? And that guilt-driven generosity is not biblical generosity. So that was one of the points that in that talk that I thought was really good. Um, not something that you always think about or remember. Um, uh, Toby Sumter, one of his statements that caught caught me off guard a little bit, or maybe that you don't you don't hear every day, is modern culture hates people. I was like, modern culture hates people. Okay, how how is that? You know. Well, he he delved into that quite a bit. But basically, his point on that was that people, human beings, all of us are made in the image of God, right? So we all reflect the image of God. Modern culture hates to be reminded of God. And so anytime we have relationships and organizations that are uh, good and reflecting the image of God, people hate it that are going against God. So people are a reminder of God. And therefore, godless people hate things that remind them of God. So materialism always devalues human beings. And so the materialistic mindset, the godless mindset, hates other people because they hate being reminded of God. I was like, okay, that's something I've not really thought about before. <laughs> but um, I get it. I, I got it after he explained it. You know, I was like, wow, okay. I can see where that is true. Um, And they also did a, a Q&A, Q&A session, which was nice. Uh, covered some of the topics and questions that they uh, that came up along the way over uh, Friday and Saturday. Um, talks about incentivizing work, um, incentivizing family, as opposed to incentivizing things that go contrary to building up a family or contrary to work, that kind of came back to the idea of welfare state. A lot of times our poor 
our poor populations in this country are incentivized to stay in whatever position they are. They're incentivized by the government to stay single, to not raise a family, to they get more money by staying single with kids than they do if they were to get married and have you know, a head of the household over them, if, especially referring to single moms. I know it's not all single moms, but um, you know, how backwards our system is in, in that nature and how if we want to raise people up and we want people to come and try to help people out of poverty, we need to we need to give them some incentive for being a family unit. Like it all it all starts with the family, and to uh, to point to that, they even talked about some numbers of of those people that are under that that poverty line. That uh, an average number an average number is in like that 70, 70 to eighty percent of those people are single you know single mom or single dad families broken families i guess is the way they refer to it as broken families but in places like I believe it was LA like that number jumps as high as 90 to 95% 90 to 95% of the people that are qualified below that poverty line are broken homes and so how much does the family unit need to be restored in our culture in our society because that's where everything starts you know, even if it's a, even if it's a rough home, like if there's at least two parents, like it makes such a big difference, you know? Um, so they, they, they talked about that, made some points on that, which I thought were good. Um, and just, just emphasize that, you know, when you're supporting organizations and looking to, you know, looking for ways to help the poor and they talked a lot about poverty, but you know, that goes right along with missions and missions organizations, but is to try to do your due diligence to find out who is local. Try to get to know like who is local in whatever organization that is so that you are able in some way to establish maybe in a relationship or do some kind of vetting on your own before you give up, you know, before you give your money. And that's like the best way to try to make sure that you're not throwing money at something that is just, is just handing out dollars with no accountability and really isn't doing any kind of change at all or isn't changing, isn't really helping anybody. It's just that constant cycle of things. And I know um, that's been the case. I've been very encouraged by some of the ministries that I've gotten to know through going to Haiti and and seeing different places in Haiti and seeing organizations that truly do care and want to change, you know, really are trying to change those cycles as opposed to just, you know, you know, throwing money at, at organizations and saying, here you go, we're helping you out. Um, that, that's, I think, very big in, in how we approach missions and the poor and, and how do we help in those situations. But overall, uh, good conference. They had recommended books for reading. I have a list uh, in, in the, um, the program from that. And if you guys want to get that list just let me know we can email it out or whatever if you want if you're interested in looking at any of that stuff but do you guys have any questions Les? I have a comment and a question uh, I remember hearing a quote and I don't know who it attributed to but talked about if the social gospel was around in the first century someone would have given the prodigal son a sandwich and a bed and he would have never went home yeah. you know and if you think about that that's, there's, that's a very valid thing to consider and I, and I think as well, um, this perpetuation of victimization and victimhood upon people mm-hmm. 
maintains their subjugation. I mean, instead of instead of allowing inner city young boys, teaching them to read and doing those things, they just give them money to, like you said, to continue on in that in that lifestyle, in that illiteracy and all of that. They, they're not going to get out of that. Yeah. They're going to become dependent upon whatever entity is going to just give them money and, and, and give them a salary to be poor. You, you mentioned something, I think you said nanny state. I've never heard that term. So the nanny state. The nanny state is, is basically referring to our government, oh, okay. who basically wants to be the nanny of everyone. He wants to give handouts to people who are in need with, with no accountability. Like they want to they hold everyone's hand. And, the grave. Yeah, and okay. here you need the government assistance to help you from step A to step B to step exactly. B, you know, C, and and forever. That's the idea of the nanny state. But one thing that uh, I remember um, Dr. Grant was talking about: um, work. Work is the essence of charity and gives man purpose. So that was one of his statements: was work is the essence of charity. And gives man purpose. And what he did was he talked about how, in the Beatitudes, when it said when it when it is talked about how it's more blessed to give than receive, right? Uh, we oftentimes think of that as like being the giver, right? We say, oh, well, it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? So we should be we should be giving as much as we can. We're in, you know, there there is some some truth to that in being generous, but the way that he and he. He was referencing specifically uh, Chalmers in, in his ministry in the early 1800s. And in, was that in Scotland? Yeah. Scotland? Okay. In Sc- okay. So Chalmers' ministry in the early 1800s in Scotland. And he revolutionized the area in as far as uh, helping the poor and realizing that this statement of it's more blessed to give than to receive works better for those who are poor so that you give them jobs and give them vocations so that they can experience that giving. They need to experience the giving part because it's more blessed to give. You don't want to be just handing out stuff to them all the time. If you give them a vocation and train them up in the way, teach them you know, the ways of Christ and, and give them a gospel mindset, then they learn how to work on their own and learn how to give to others, therefore raising their raising their gratitude, right? So that was something that you know a view on that passage that I had not thought about before that he mentioned and talked about a lot in one of his in one of his uh, seminars, basically. But um, very interesting to hear, and he is very well very well versed on this stuff. It's impressive. So, any other questions, or did I miss anything? Alan, Craig, you got oh, anything, yeah. anything uh, to add? Like huge points. Well, what are they? Well, you know, it was a long conference, and there's a few times I dozed off. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Here's one of the things that I felt was the overall theme that these uh, George Grant, Dr. George Grant, and and uh, Wilson was that the state, yes. They are good at having lots of money they can tap into from us, but um, as a church, we should be figuring out how we can start to take over some of these ministries, even though it's tough to get in there because of regulations. But I mean, we do stuff with uh, possibilities and uh, 
they have other names for it, right? Uh, Pregnancy Resource Centers. Pregnant, and, and those are good. And one of the examples he gave of that 34 million people in poverty, which is that mythical line, maybe necessarily, but yeah. they throw over a trillion dollars at that. And he was saying, if you, I, he apparently did the math. Yeah. But if you um, just, you know, he's saying, where, where's that money going? Right. Because if you took that money and gave it to everyone, everybody would get 30 grand. So you got four people in the family, you got $120,000, but they're getting almost nothing out of this deal. Yeah. And, and the government may be in theory trying, but what's happening is you got your upper management or echelon, and the money all gets sucked up in that area and it's just gone. Mm -hmm. and they're in the racket phase. They're in the, <laughs> yeah, racket, they're in the racket phase. They're in the racket phase, and you're subsidizing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whether you like it or not. No, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. But I, I felt that they weren't being tyrannical about it, like, you know, we need to upright. But as the church, you know, how should these things be approached? And you brought that up uh, yeah. very well. But, uh, it, and it is good, and there are deserving poor and undeserving poor, and so it is important to figure out how does that work, and yet if you do make a mistake, let's, let's make it in generosity, not yeah. punitive. And Wilson was very careful to, die, very careful to uh, present that idea, that, that terminology of the deserving poor and the undeserving poor did not want to come off too brashly and saying, you know, there's this other class of undeserving poor, but, you know, the idea that those who don't work, those who don't want to lift a finger for anything and just, you know, continue to just live on the government dime or the nanny state dime, you know, that type of thing. Those are the ones who need a heart change, not a pocketbook change, mm -hmm. you know, and that they need to re they need to approach the way that they see life and money and everything and that it's gospel, like all of it's gospel, right? And so that was something that Chalmers, uh, something that Dr. Grant talked about in the Chalmers analogy was that they saw it all as like, okay, this first and foremost needs to be a heart change and then, you know, the learning of the other, the other items and bringing them along in those other vocational items and money management and economy, you know, type things. And speaking to what uh, Frank was just saying, too, was they, they gave an example of, you know, where is all that money going? And they, they had talked about, help me out here, it was like a, uh, I don't know if it was a halfway house or it was a missions or something. It, it was, he had an example of like a, a mission, and it was, it was so, sort, of, uh, sort of generic, but it was just a for instance, and they said, well, for instance, if you had a, a a halfway house that is run, government run or whatever, you end up with, you know, maybe, maybe 60 people that are, are using the facility, but guess what? The other 40 people that are there are staff, you know, and like the ratio is so high for staff to actually people getting benefits or uses out of, out of whatever it is that's being offered. And that's where, you know, that comment of like, okay, we're sp the government's spending like a trillion dollars on that 34 million people a year. Where is that money going? You know, it's like, okay, it's a business. Yeah. It's the business of charity, you know, that type of thing. So, Look, there was a church that I read about in England that I think it was in London that was doing such a good job with the poor that they were going out and, and that the, the, the government actually started sending some of their money to them because they saw that they were making a difference that none of the government programs were making. And so wow. they actually funneled some of the money towards that church because... The difference they're making with the kind of the 
scrounges of society. I mean, like the lower, like really down and downtrodden stuff. Yeah. Did they talk at all about how this welfare state, this this uh, the enablement that we perpetuate, how it affects evangelism and how it affects you know like <clears throat> I've gone on the street before, and almost invariably when I encounter someone, you know it's they want to know what can you do for me now. You know what can you give me now? Yeah. It's like, I so I don't have any silver or gold, but let me tell you what I. What I, what I can give you. Yeah. They don't want to hear that. I th- that's, that's kind of been instilled in folks. So that there's an added impediment or an added barrier when you do want to go out and, you know, like like those guys that were at the park when we went and sang that, mm-hmm. that Saturday. There was a bunch of them over by the pavilion, you know, and I, and I wanted to go over there, but I was there to sing, so that's my excuse. <laughs> but, but anyway... You know, when you go and and, and want to engage, there. Well, what do you have for me? They, you know, uh, do you have do you have some socks? Do you have whatever? And uh, you know, I think that's part of the. You know, Satan's pretty smart. Yeah. He's he doesn't take a day off. Yeah. And they want to know what what have you done for me lately, or what can you do for me right now? And that that can that can give us a reluctance to do. Follow through on what we've been commissioned and commanded to do. So, the day I feel like I feel like Dave, or well, I don't know, Karen, I can't remember if it was Doug Wilson that talked about that, but um, I feel like they did address that in in a way. And I'll let you know what I think, and then maybe either Frank or Joe or Alan or whoever wants to, if they have anything to add. But basically, one of the actually no, okay, it was Dr. Grant who talked about this, and. This wasn't specifically talking about maybe ministering to homeless people in America, but in other poverty situations. Um, oftentimes, when people are, are poor and if, it, if it's their decisions or whatever's going on, right, a lot of times they're just used to getting that handout. And so if, if you have something to offer, they want to know, well, are you going to feed me? Are you going to give me money? Or what's, what's going on, right? And he said one of the biggest, I know one of the biggest things that you can give to those people is hope and most of the time those people when you get down to it you might have to drill them down to the floor to figure out like well you know for one of the instances was like what do you want to do when you grow up what do you want to do what vocation you know what what contribution do you want to have in society you know do you want to go somewhere do you want to do something you want to make something yourself and most of the times the answers are oh I want to be an NBA player or uh, I'm going to go into the NFL and it's like, okay, do you understand what small percentage of the population actually, you know, is talented and puts in the work and whatever to do that? Like, what if you can't do that? What are you going to do? And most of the time, they don't have a very good answer. And so I think the best way to confront that um, from their standpoint and from, you know, just the idea of the whole conference is you need to present them with the gospel so that they have some sort of, some sort of hope, right. something, something to hope in. And most of the people in that situation really don't have any hope at all. Right. They're just looking for the next handout. Not, and but if you drill in deep into their heart, you know you'll you'll find out that they really have no hope at all. Right. Yeah, so, any, you guys have anything to add to that? That's well put. Yeah. I don't want to add anything other than this thought. <laughs> so one of the things they brought up, which everybody's familiar with here is that um, 
was it Mary Magdalene? Who was it that anointed Jesus uh, his feet with a real expensive uh, perfume? With oil, yeah. Yeah, and so then, of course, Judas says, man, why don't we sell that? We could give it to the poor. And, and Jesus reminded us that we'll always have the poor. So there's, there's stuff. But one of the things that they brought out, which I think all of us here would be able to say, yeah, we understand that, and that is that um, Judas wasn't interested in the poor, and that's where money, many of these whole these operations aren't really interested in the poor anyways. They're interested in donations, and then what happens to those donations is some of the higher, um, you know, some of the I guess people be wealthy out of the deal or get money and whatnot, but the poor really are kind of a secondary thing. It's not really what the goal is, whereas yeah. maybe what Thad was talking about was and is the goal is to really help out. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think that's kind of as Christians, we need to be wise in that area and say, hey, a lot of this stuff isn't working. Well, we don't have to go you know, shut down the United Way, but we can do stuff that can be helpful and it can be genuine. Yeah. And so a lot of people, uh, you're right, Les, but some of those people are going to respond, and that's mm -hmm. who God's leading us to. Okay, right. mm -hmm. Mary? I was just wondering what the, like, kind of what the takeaway, the practical takeaway was for, like, what is the denomination exhorting its members too in terms of this besides I mean I think I don't think it takes I mean I, I don't know I guess I should say that. it seems very uh, understandable that that funds are not always being used well that that the government doesn't have um, necessarily a, a plan that is actually helping people to come out of poverty and poor but like what is the what is the call besides being discerning about like what organizations we're donating money to or when we're talking about giving time, like where where are they calling people to besides the overarching the system is not working as it is now? Um, I think they're really calling the church to jump in. They're they're calling for for the, the true church, God's people, to roll up their sleeves and to dive in and to do it the right way. I mean, and, and that, whether that is joining an organization that you know is, is helping and doing things the right way, um, or is it, hey, we need to start something, we need to do something in our own community that's really going to help people, that we think is going to disciple them, is going to give them the gospel, and is going to teach them some sort of vocation so that they can work and so that they can, you know, better themselves into a point where they, they can become the giver. You know, they can help somebody else. And I think that, that is the kind of the overall takeaway is they're encouraging their congregation and the church to, to, to really do the hard work as the church to do some of this and to be very careful about what you invest in. Alan? You're asking practical things, right? Mm -hmm. um, what they talked about at the conference, some of the practical things were like hospitals, uh, schools, things like that. Some of those things we can't get into because of the regulation is so deep. Uh, but there are things we can do. We can make sure our kids and any of the kids in the families who join our church can be uh, educated properly in, with Christ as the center. Um, you know, we can, we can do a lot of that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think basically it starts at home. Somebody said, 
not not at the conference necessarily. The charity starts at home, and I think that's I don't remember who it was, but but yeah. that's and, probably a good axiom. Yeah, and someone else did. That was one of the questions was uh, in the Q and A was you know more practically like what do we do? You know what do you want? What do you what should we be doing? You know what organizations should we be? You know involved with at this point if we're really concerned about all these other things and they, they gave some some of the examples they gave was uh, the crisis pregnancy centers you know places like what uh, possibilities is it possibilities that used to be CareNet or whatever um, because they do more than just count they do more than just talk to to girls who are or whoever is coming in to might be considering abortion it's not just about life or abortion you know pro-life or abortion it's about counseling them how to, you know, whether they have a boyfriend or whether they don't, or, you know, uh, in, in helping them to make good decisions, giving them the gospel, first and foremost. Um, they also talked about Samaritan's Purse, they said was, you know, kind of mixed about like, well, it depends on where you're at. You know, parts, areas of Samaritan Purse can be just, you know, right on the money with all of this. And then they talked about other areas, I think like uh, Peru, where it's very almost Marxist. The, the the people that are leading their the leading those organizations in certain areas aren't aren't that great, but but that they do a lot of good and a lot of um, building up of people and giving them the gospel and that kind of thing. So those were a couple of practical things that they had to say. But also along the lines of what Alan was saying was you know hey we can't just jump into a hospital and start preaching the word you know or this or that. But we have way, there are ways that we can get involved. There are places that we can get involved and places that we can help with, you know, bringing the gospel to people. And those are the ways that we should be looking for. It's no accident that Possibilities is right across the street from Planned Parenthood. Right. It's not an accident. Right. Um, you know, to me, it's just like you can't have a more definitive battle line drawn. Right. Main Street, whatever that street is there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you think, when you see these big disasters happen and when relief occurs, who do you see? Who's the high visibility people there? It's the Catholics. I mean, and, and the Mormons, and they're therefore their their motive their motivation is is aberrant. It's wrong, but you know, as far as doing it for the glory of God, but they're there, and that's what people see. Samaritan's Purse is very front line with a lot of that stuff. No, absolutely. I know that they were they were uh, heavily criticized as. Um, I think it was in D- it was either New York or D.C. when they set up a mobile hospital for COVID after COVID was hit. And everybody's like, oh, we don't want to go over there because you're a Christian organization, you know. But they had set up this whole mobile hospital and had all this room for overflow and was going to be doing all this stuff and taking care of people. And people, you know, poo-pooed it because they were Christian. It's like yeah. Pastor Sumter said. Image of God, we hate God, yep. you're not going there. Yeah, so they do a lot of stuff in disaster relief, though. Yeah, but Aaron... Even if you were interested in saying uh, supporting something uh, fairly local like CEF, you'd still want to go meet them and see see how it's run. Because maybe in one town it's run very poorly and they hardly do anything, and then another your area you're going, wow, this is this is worth supporting and stuff like that. So you still have you have to do a little digging. Yeah. Well, I know we kind of discussed on the way back to um, the giving money to different organizations and being um, intentional about sort of keeping tabs on how it's run. Because at the time you go, oh, this looks like a good organization, we'll go ahead and start donating to this organization or whatever. And then down the road, they may change their business model or whatever, and it suddenly becomes a not biblical thing. Um, so just being cognitive of that, keeping tabs on it. 
tabs on it so that we can say, well, maybe this isn't the thing I should give a point to. Um, that really I think that's yeah. where that um, giving motivated not by guilt comes in. Right. Lots of times we want to just give our money if they come if you're doing something. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to wanting to be really generous and actually make a difference. And so that involves more time and energy and thought than just sending my money somewhere that I can feel better about my day. Right. It's not about us. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be about us or our guilt. It should be about, you know, our generosity should come from gratitude. Yeah. Right. We're going to give to people we want to help them. So. Kay and I were given to Camp Crusade for Christ because we had a young lady in the church we were attending in Tacoma doing that. And she came and gave her pitch and we, we donated to it. And then the next time she came to solicit a donation, she was soliciting for crew. I said, well, what's crew? Well, we shortened it to crew. I said, well, why did you shorten it to crew? Well, we found that Campus Crusade for Christ wasn't quite as attractive. I said, well, oh, wow. see you later. Yeah. We did not donate. And you know, we weren't rude about it, but we just yeah. said, this is unacceptable. Yeah. You know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed of yeah. the salvation. Not ashamed of the gospel. No, Christ needs to be in there. We can't be ashamed of him. We can't be. Yeah. Okay. I'll be quiet. <laughs> okay. So awesome. that's, in a nutshell, not so brief, but uh, and jo- you, Joe's going to talk about awesome. Trinity Church stuff, too. So. Right. Thank you for that. Yeah. Those are all, that's all really, some really good discussion on that. And um, it was, overall, I thought everybody was really encouraged by it. And you know, sometimes you, you need to be told things that you maybe already recognize or know because you just need the encouragement to keep doing it. But um, I... I'm not actually going to say much for this next portion because I really, I'm, I want you to know I'm not afraid of awkward silences right now. Uh, I really want to know what you guys, the, some of the takeaways you had from last, last Sunday um, on the 31st, uh, the worship at Trinity Church. Uh, I know some people live streamed it, some people were there in person, maybe some people watched the recording. I'm, I'm pretty familiar with that form of worship which is why i don't have a lot to say on it because it was not new to me and i want to hear from you guys i want to hear the things you loved the things that were concerning the questions you had the that that kind of thing just we can just open it up for for discussion so i'd love to hear what the kids thought yeah that's a great kids any kids yes elias i was not expecting <laughs> he was not expecting to drink wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a little bit of a shock, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, there's there's actually you know uh, a lot of a lot of things are done on purpose, and using wine instead of grape juice was done on purpose. But that's a that's a great that's a great memory. <laughs> I mean, it's a great thing to remember. I loved how the kids were able to be a part of sharing it with their family. Mm. I don't know what his stand is on that, but watching your kids mm. passing it out and being a part and participating, it blessed my heart. Mm. Yeah, bless. Instead of what you're talking about, but I, I, um, one thing I, I struggled with the music because I was just not familiar with it, but sure. I loved it. And about the third verse, I felt like it kind of merged and started right. singing along. Um, I love, I love the uh, lay. Men praying that, that during the service, 
that that's inclusive. And mm-hmm. uh, I remember asked I asked Dave at his house afterwards. I said, do, do you, you know, is it okay to allow women to, to pray? And he says, you know, right now it's important that the men that I that I get the men up front do that. So um, I, I did appreciate that. Um, and the kids in the service, I thought was amazing. Yeah. It was a really nice, it was wonderful. That was when when uh, Elizabeth and I first got married and we were going to a CRAC church. Um, I wasn't I, I wasn't even necessarily uh, realized I was reformed or embracing anything necessarily. I, I loved what we were doing, but the fact that they said, "Hey, we need you to we need all the men to to, to step up and pray prayer of Thanksgiving or a prayer of petition," and you know you don't have to write it out. Here's why we recommend preparing in some way beforehand, because you're coming before before God, and you don't want to you don't want to just be you know throwing throwing out whatever's at the top of your head. You can have a spirit filled prayer that's prepared beforehand. But but even at our church, not everybody prepared their prayers beforehand. Uh, but that was hugely uh, for me as a as a younger guy. That was hugely like challenging. Like oh man. I'm going to go up there and pray, and, and I and I better I better know what I'm praying about and what why I'm doing this. So appreciate that, Les. You know, Joel. The other one of the other things I, I enjoyed too is the fellowship before the service. Uh, we had a, the young one of the young men, Craig Cole, came over and talked to Ken for quite a while. He's a very engaged young man just great and then when the service started there was a collective kind of there was a unanimity everybody was just focused and in, in, in into it and connected and all that with the worship and then afterwards you know it's back to the fellowship right. and things so I, I appreciate that there was a real strong like-minded that unity we've been mm-hmm. talking about the memorials and all that right you can see that evident in yeah place, so. well that's neat <laughs> yeah, like the no one wore masks. Yeah, that's good. I saw, I saw Will had his hand up over there. Will, what'd you think? Good. I'm glad, buddy. Anybody else? Any any thoughts or concerns or things that didn't make sense? because like, I totally know what you mean on the on the music. I mean. If if I don't know a song, it's like it's hard to get into it until until you start to kind of catch the melody. And I find how I think Jonas said something. Yeah, yeah, Jonas. Um, kind of liked how we read the song from a book. There was like two different books, but it's kind of when you're on to the next song, it's kind of you're in a rush to like find what page. Uh, okay. And I just feel like you could. So you you did like the book, or you'd prefer not using the book? Okay. All right. Yeah. Gotcha. Good feedback. Thanks, Jonas. And they're heavy books too. Anna. <laughs>
was good for me to just go and actually sit and see it and experience it because I think when you read a mission, like a statement of faith, it's like, wow, this is really rigid and I, I don't know if I can get on board with this. And yeah, we've been raised, you know, and our kids have been raised in it in a projector church, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, sure. with, with songs that we sing on the radio. So it's all different for right. us. I've been probably more hesitant in saying, yeah, this sounds like a great idea. Um, I think, Joe, you and Elizabeth have modeled this well for, you know, us to see here in Lewis County. Um, but, yeah, it was just, it was different going. Um, we've never been to a church that included the kids in the service. So that was a little nerve-wracking for me, you know, because we've always had children's worship or we've had nursery, and so that's different, you know. But it was really cool um, to see the dads handing out communion to their family, and I really appreciated that. It mm -hmm. was very intimate, and um, I think it, it just felt like it meant to doing it that way. Um, and the people were amazing afterwards, you know, just that you talked with and seemed really genuine. So well, yeah. it was very helpful to go and experience it. Right. So I'm more on board. Cool. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it, it is a challenge, though. Right. It, is, it is a challenge. It's, yeah, right. it's different, right? right. Yeah. So. And, and you kept Elias under control through the service. That was, I know. Yeah. With the wine and everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just said, I'm not going to do it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you had the little bowl of Cheerios for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I was worried about Caleb. But yeah. anyway. uh, you guys, no, I mean, it, was, it is yeah. really neat. It is neat to see kids be in there and be yeah. a part of it because, yeah. you know, there's no there's no height requirement to the kingdom of God. Right. Right. The folks behind us had 12 kids. Did they really? Well, they, and they commute from Stelicum to go up there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and we haven't mentioned, uh, maybe because we're doing some of the peripheral thing, but uh, Hatcher is an excellent preacher. Mm. Yeah, he really is. Yeah. Cool. Do anybody have anything? So like, uh, you know, Jonas, you had that really helpful thought there about the hymnals and, you know, it's kind of hard to maybe find your page and... I can tell you if I'm holding the baby, it's hard to, it's really hard to maneuver a hymnal in that. Did anybody else have anything that maybe that questions on or just thoughts, things that like, why'd they do that? Or that didn't make sense or. Yeah, Les. Um, I liked the fact that they've had some notes that were from his sermon there. Mm -hmm. um, that I think that was helpful. I know Kay remarked on that. Um, they, they were part of the part of the bulletin handout. Yeah, you did, that was yeah. really nice. And, yeah. And uh, kind of nice, uh, kind of succinct. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, that's good. That's good. One of the bummer of watching it on TV is 
um, during the worship, it was Dave Hatcher singing to us. <laughs> he had a good voice. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't get to experience the like the singing together, and I think that's something that yeah. um, that we missed out on by not being up there. That I'd like to mm-hmm. just because it is a completely different thing to sing with a congregation. Absolutely. Um, whether the songs are new or old or right, but it just I didn't think we we got the full extent of what the worship was like with, sure. by watching that. No. I, can, I can echo that just because we watched um, a couple of his services online, and you know, being there is just completely different. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, listening, listening to him sing while streaming is just—you almost can't do it, right? Yeah, it's, just, right. it's really hard to sing along when you're listening to one person sing right. in that in that kind of a fashion. It is meant to be sung together, mm-hmm. you know, in corporate worship. I know, yeah. and. I'll just you know say that it was awkward. You know, things were awkward for me because it was like we had two, not just one hymn book, we had two books that we were singing out of, and the notes, and the communion. And right around that communion time, I was just like, hey, I'm doing it. What am I doing? Wait, I gotta find this one. Caleb and blanket. It was just like a separate table. You know, so I felt I felt like I felt like I was so awkward during that whole time. But they used to have four books. Except for us, <laughs> had more than three in a service. Yeah. So they had four of them, and you had to check, okay, which one's got to be ended up this time? <laughs> maybe this Centralia Church has a St. Bernard coming with a little wine cake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Free a hand up in it. Well, I think, I think in the non-COVID era, you would, uh, it's more traditional as far as passing, passing yeah. elements, right? Yeah. yeah, it is. Do they yeah. pass it out through the congregation, or do you come forward and take no, it? No, no, they pass it out. They've had that. Well, I can you answer in, that, Alan? Trinity, they would pass it out in the trays. Okay. Um, usually, the red tray went by, and then the other one, and there would be a ring of uh, of red juice, and then a couple of rings of wine. Um, yeah, with COVID, they changed it up quite a bit. Yeah. No. You want to explain that just so people have a the, weren't there and know how that worked? The what? The, how can you work? Yeah, right, right. So you, you came in and um, you came in. You got a little baggie and it had bread and it had a little bottle of wine in it. And, and they did have grape juice um, for for people who wanted to use grape juice. They really put an emphasis on the wine. And there's a whole other discussion as to why we don't really need to get into right now. But 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 the grape juice was available. Um, and uh, basically, at the time, you would have you would start with the bread. And, you know, if you want to model it off of the way Jesus did communion, then he takes the bread, he gives thanks for it, you all eat the bread. And then you take the cup and you give thanks for it and you all, and you all partake of the cup. And that's, you know, so you're not doing the two things together, you're doing them in two separate stages. If, just because that's how Jesus did it. So that's how we want to, that's how, that's, how, that's how we'd want to model it on. But the thing that they wouldn't normally do, normally they'd have the elders serving the wine to the congregation because that's, that's kind of how... That's historically how it's been done, but in this particular case, you, you pick it up, the heads of household pick it up when you go in there, and then, um, like in our case, I had uh, Ruthie on my lap, and she was finally quiet, and so Charles actually passed it out for everybody. So it's, everybody's kind of figuring things out, a little bit out as they go along, you know, how to do it in a new way with uh, COVID, knowing that it won't always be like this, but. Um, I thought it was a very creative way to do it. Sure, yeah, yeah. so you can s- still have it happen, and, you know, Luke, one of the things you said that I thought was so, 
so poignant and, and uh, applicable right now is how you can't you can't do this over live stream. I mean, if if you have like a, a few weeks where you know you're not sure about things and you have to shut down for a while, or maybe you're sick or whatever, but you can't you can't do worship on a computer. You got to be together. I mean, there's when I stand next to Alan and we're singing a psalm together, and he knows it better than I do. I learn the psalm that much faster because he's teaching me. Or maybe he knows the maybe he knows the bass part, and I learn the bass part because I'm sitting right next to him. But you can't do that on the you can't do that on the live stream. So that's why what we're doing right now is so important, and why places like Calvary Chapel are bursting at the seams right now because so many churches aren't doing that. I, I talked to one of the guys at um, the missions conference today, uh, last week or this weekend, and he told me Ben Zorns. He's the uh, he's the executive director of the Gray Friars, the the, um, the the place that produces CRC pastors. And he said, and I can't remember if it was nationally or if it was just for Washington, but nationally they expect thirty percent of churches to go under. Um, and so you know he was kind of saying this is a great time to plant a church because <laughs> there's going to be a lot of people that don't no longer have a home anymore and they need a place to worship and and they don't want to they don't want to sit in the gymnasium with twenty other people. In you know uh, glass tubes, or have the pastor be in a in a in a glass box. Um, they want to stand next to each other, and and yeah, there's a risk. You might get sick. There's a there, but but you, that's how you experience worship. You experience it corporately and in person. Uh, yeah. Any other thoughts or comments or? You can't do the Lord's Supper online either. You can't do the Lord's exactly. <laughs> Yeah, you really can't. It's, I mean, it's the, how do you commune with the whole body when you're all separated? Some so. have a lot of wine at home, I'm sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> a little bit right. Yeah. Well, I mean, at any point, you guys can 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 jump in if you have other things that have maybe come up in your mind as as we talk about this. But uh, I wanted to just take a, a fairly short few minutes here to look at the timeline for the launch of uh, for the for our mission church status. So. I know I've said this before, but this is this is Bible study. This is a fellowship night. This is not Lord's Day worship. I'm not a pastor. We don't have any elders right now. It's you know this is the, the Lord is here. We believe that He's He's here with us, but um, but it's not it's not uh, the you know covenant renewal worship. Um, so when we launch covenant renewal worship, the the first Sunday that we do that, um, then it becomes this becomes you know Lord's Day worship, and it that's. Different, so less kind of like the, the what you saw there about the, you know, happy visiting, and then then there's kind of like preparing your hearts for worship, and, and the the visiting stops, and we're here for for a reason. We're here to worship God, and so we're not going to be talking about the ball game now. We're because the call to worship is about to start, and when the call to worship happens, and then all the way through to the commission back out into the world, this is this is we're in the heavenlies. We've we've ascended. God's called us up in the heavenlies, and so we leave the things of this world behind during that time. So when that happens, um, that's when we'll have um, the the way uh, Pastor Hatcher um, was kind of envisioning it is we need to be looking for elders amongst ourselves. Um, he'll be probably the pro tem elder, which is I believe it means just that he's the elder from afar. But he would like to have us have at least one elder within our our own group, um, or it could be more than one elder, but. In order for that to happen, we'll probably need to be doing some for those for those um, who feel the calling to to the role of elder. Um, we'll be needing to do some interviews like over Zoom with their elder board, um, and uh, so that's some of the things that we have to do. But but there, 
but in terms of actually starting this this church and actually having that mission church status, I think there's there's a lot of details that still need to be worked out, but I think we're a lot closer to this than we might think. And what I would kind of, and I want to open it up to thoughts people might have on this, but I want to kind of encourage you guys to be doing is to be really thinking and praying about this uh, if you've got a, another church that you're a part of and, and you really feel like God is calling me to stay at this church, then that is, the Lord bless you on that. We don't, we don't want anybody going against where the Lord is leading them. But knowing that inertia always makes us feel most comfortable and we don't change, um, the challenge would be to be praying also, Lord, even though I'm content here, even though I don't have any problems, is that the reason why I ought to stay? Is that a reason enough for me to stay? Or could it be that it's the perfect time to, to join another church because there aren't any major problems? There are not huge areas of discontent that I'll be bringing to this new, to this new body of believers. Um, the idea that Pastor Hatcher had was that when we officially launch as a mission church, that would be also the time that the, the people who are going to be members would take their membership vows. Um, and churches have a variety of different ways of thinking about membership. Some churches don't practice membership at all. Other churches have, uh, um, I'm sure there's even more than what CREC does, but what the CREC does is they, they expect you to, to, take a, to take a membership vow so that the leadership of the church knows who the flock is um, because they're accountable to their flock. And without church membership, you can't know who you're accountable to because you know, the guy that shows up every two months just to, to sit in, he's not a member and, you know, you want to be friendly to him. But, but you also, the, 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 the shepherds of the, of the church, can't necessarily be held responsible for him. But the members, that's who, that's who they are, that's who they're responsible for. So, so be thinking about that. Be thinking about, okay, if we launch as, as soon as, say, March, sometime in March. And I know it's February. <laughs> but if we launch as soon as sometime in March, or maybe April, but, but I... But this is, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a prime opportunity. If everybody in this, in this room says, hey, we want to we wanna join today, it's like we've got, we've got like, we're 95% of the way there, at least as, as, far as, it, uh, as far as getting to the point where we can be commissioned and we can have the pulpit be filled and we can start looking for a pastor. So be praying about that. Be praying about where the Lord wants your family um, for the uh, for the status of this, because you know a lot of there's a lot of good churches that are still open, and I'm not looking to rob from anybody on that. Uh, anybody have any thoughts on the timeline for for the launch date? I've got one other thing to add at the end of that, but I want to just kind of open it up before we switch gears on that. Joe, I think I've mentioned this to you before. I think there's a part of me that's still wondering because um, so far the denomination has been very seems like. Yeah, come one, come all. Um, but I, I also know that they're, they've got to have some. So I guess I'm still kind of curious. What is it? What are the what are the lines drawn in the sand that we don't know about? I mean, mm-hmm. like for example, that the thing that Les just brought up is that a denominational-wide thing that only men pray in front of the church? Um, or I also noticed on Sunday that you cannot come to the table unless you've been baptized. Mm-hmm. So those are is that things that just Dave churches. Right. practice or is that something that's a denominational like must that you must right. have I mean some of those things I think we haven't really talked about which sure um, I don't think I mean I think they're peripheral to the gospel but they're not as far as the running of the church and right. how the church you know yeah um, I think 
I'm, I'm, I think it'd be important to have some discussion about yeah. some of those topics. Totally agree, and, and that's actually the the thing I was saving till after okay. people had a, had a thought was just or people put in their thoughts was we need to resurrect at least at some point um, our evening you know the times where maybe it's not so family oriented and it's more just like the men get together and kind of hash some of these things out like yeah can you take communion before you've been baptized um, and you know if I baptize Ruthie is everybody gonna be okay <laughs> um, and if you don't baptize your your young kids am I gonna be okay and yeah can we get along with that and um, yeah women women uh, what's the role that women play during that call to commission you know um, knowing that that call to commission is a, is a different time than the rest of the week so um, so the, the question is, is that should we revive the Thursday night thing where we get together on Thursday nights? I know that doesn't work for everybody's schedule. Alan works evenings, so that wouldn't work for him. I know weekends are tough for a lot of you, uh, a lot of people with families and whatnot. Uh, Luke was mentioning that um, cross country starting up, and that's going to be kind of eaten into some of the evening time. Um, I know next Sunday is Valentine's Day, and I was going to ask if people wanted to even do this on Valentine's Day or if you guys were all going to be off wooing, wooing one another. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Cross, cross your fingers, Mom. <laughs> but, if we, but if we didn't have this fellowship night next Sunday, then on the 18th, which is a Thursday night, we could, we could meet for kind of a time to, to, make, to maybe kind of have it be a little bit of like a bring, bring your concerns about if we, if we join the CREC or, you know, uh, we can talk about what it means to be, a, you know, a role, the role of biblical eldership. Um, uh, so, so, yeah, that's, that, I, I think we need to, 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 re, to rehash that. So um, rather than like everybody uh, pitching in with their, with their schedules, after we sing and kind of close, um, I'll just kind of try to go around and talk to people and see where you guys are at on schedule-wise, um, and and then we can kind of make a plan going forward. Um, but just to show of hands, would would you guys want to do this next week, or would is Valentine's Day a good day to, to not to not have this evening thing? Yeah, maybe just the men could be. Okay? Yeah, just the men. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Right. You might want to rethink that phrase. Right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Every day is Valentine's Day. Well, we we can think about it, and, and we can we can talk. I don't need to put any of the husbands on the on the line right now. Um, okay. In interest of time, um, I want to finish with um, this. I actually had I actually had the book. And I think I lent it out to somebody. So. Um, uh, uh, Pastor Hatcher recommended that we, we study more on covenant theology. Um, and so there's a really good book that Doug Wilson wrote called Standing on the Promises. And it's called A Handbook of Biblical Child Rearing. Um, and so, but I don't, I don't want the, the, the title or the subtitle there to, to throw you off. This is covenant theology and its practical implications. Um, we all know kids, right? We, we, we encourage the kids. We want the kids to be here with us. They're a part of worship. We can't worship God as faithfully without the kids as we can with the kids. And so this book goes into deep detail as to why um, Christian parents, Christian grandparents, um, we have so much hope in the promises that God has given us and how those promises kind of change everything as it relates to um, parenting. Um, I want to just read you one section here. It says... uh, 
As will be discussed in this book, the Bible teaches us that the norm for faithful members of the covenant is that their children will follow them in their faithfulness. That's the norm. Quote, the children of your servants will continue and their descendants will be established before you. Psalm 102, 28. As Christians, we should know that, quote, the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. And in fact, the Lord's mother, Mary, um, in Luke 1, verse 50, in her Magnificat, um, held that promise very dear to her heart. And so um, the first chapter, if you go to canonpress.com, the first chapters, uh, for, you can just read the first chapter, you don't have to buy it. Um, and we don't even have to go through a whole chapter the next time we meet. But this has some really, if you've got little kids, it's fantastically practical. If you have grandkids, it's incredibly helpful for understanding their, their relationship to God right now. Uh, and, if, and if you just see a lot of people, little, little people running around, it's important to know, like, how does God think about these people, you know? We, we know how Jesus thinks about them, but is that just in a sentimental way that he just doesn't want you to pick on them? Or are, is the kingdom of God really made up of little infants and nursing babies? So um, that's, the, that's kind of the intro to, intro to staying on the promises. Whenever we meet the next time, whether it's next Sunday or the following Sunday, we'll be, we'll be tackling a portion or maybe even the whole first chapter. We'll be tackling the, the, uh, uh, the first chapter of this book, so... Any thoughts on that or questions? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this up here if you guys want to look through it. Like I said, uh, the link that I sent to you goes to the Canon Press website, and then there's a, uh, it says read, read the first chapter for free or something like that, and you can download the PDF. But if you want to look through it, there's, uh, the, the table of contents shows all the things that, uh, that, this thing is talk- that this book is talking about, the promises of God to parents, uh, the duties of parents before God, covenant community. That's, super, that's, a, that's a really impactful Concept is the idea of being in covenant together, um, the authority of parents, um, uh, the application of godly discipline. Of course, that one's a very practical one. Um, but uh, but I it's I read it a long time ago, and I'm excited to read it again because uh, it's just in, like I said, intensely practical. So, uh, any thoughts on that before we sing? All right, we're going to sing uh, "Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise." Blossom and flourish 
glory, pure Father of light. Thine angels adore thee, all veiling their sight. All Lord, we would render, oh, help us to see. Tis only the splendor of light hideth thee. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. Good singing. All right, we're going to sing All Creatures of Our God and King, Francis of Assisi. This is an oldie. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Alleluia, alleluia. Thou burning sun with golden softer gleam Oh, praise Him Oh, praise Him Alleluia 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 Thou rushing wind that art so strong Ye clouds that sail in heaven Before we uh, sing the doxology, uh, 
I've got a few people I'd like to pray for uh, who couldn't be with us tonight um, for a variety of reasons. But uh, if you just pray with me, then we'll sing the doxology, then we can uh, have a little fellowship time. Gracious God, thank you that you are the king. Thank you that we can boldly come before your throne, knowing that it's Jesus' righteousness that makes us acceptable to you. You love to show us your mercy. You love to pour out your grace upon us. And that mercy and that grace has a name and he has a body and he gave it for us. And his name is Jesus. And it's in his name that we bring before you the So family. For Jerome and for Sean and their kids and for Jemima and for the Heck family. And for everybody who is still um, just reeling and mourning the loss of Shuan uh, So. And we ask, Father, that you would please um, be that comforter to them. That you would protect them in the midst of this sorrow. That you would protect their faith and protect um, their trust in you. I pray, Father, that uh, this, this frowning providence, Lord, this, this providence that is so dark and so, so hard, that they would see your face behind it. And we ask, Father, that um, uh, you would be glorified because of this and that each one of those souls would come out of this trial closer to you with, you, with your son being more dear to them. Uh, we pray for Andrew, who couldn't be with us tonight, Lord, because he's just struck, his uh, health is struggling right now. Lord, you know exactly what he needs, and we ask, Father, that you would not only just strengthen him spiritually and emotionally, but, Lord, you would heal his body physically. We pray for physical healing and restoration. We pray that we ask for the same thing for Judy, um, who is, um, has heart issues right now. We ask that you would please um, uh, get her heart beating the way it should, at the, at the, uh, at the rate it should, and that she would um, feel um, feel the all the good effects from properly properly functioning blood flow. Thank you for hearing our prayers, Lord. Thank you for each one of these people that are here, and, and we know that there are so many more requests that you know. Um, and we ask, Father, that we each one of us would be emboldened to bring them to you boldly, and to expect you to answer them um, for your own glory. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to do the doxology, and then we'll eat. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Yes. Real quick, a lot of you have been praying for my niece, um, Jenny, who has had leukemia. She got leukemia on, they actually discovered on Valentine's Day last year. Oh, that's right. Um, and she is having her discharge from the um, hospital meeting on February 12th, which is two days short of the year. So she'll be going ahead and home because she's wow. she a bone transplant or a bone marrow transplant and everything is going the way it should. Praise God. So she's being released to head home. And she's early 20s, right? Yeah. Wow. Praise God for that. Thanks for sharing that, Dad. God is good.